Welcome back to the Entertainment Goes Pop podcast, where all things entertainment cross over with all things pop culture. That means all topics are up for discussion, including TV, movies, music, video games, sports. All of it is fair discussion on this podcast. This week I've got discussion on Young Rock. Its premiere was this week. Also some news on the return of the real world. And I'm not talking a brand new season, I'm talking a throwback. We have a launch date for Big Brother Canada 9. Some discussion on Amazing Race Australia. Nintendo had a bunch of announcements this week. We got some music stuff, including what music calms you? What kind of music calms you? Well, a study was done to determine on what people had as their top music on what calmed them. So that and much more on this week's episode of the podcast. Some TV topics to discuss this week. Young Rock premiered this week on NBC, doing a strong rating in its first episode, drawing 5 million viewers on NBC. I did watch it. Of course, I'm a Rock fan. I've watched him since his WWE days and on through his movies and all beyond that. And so I was curious to see how this show was. I enjoyed it. I found it to be a fun watch. Uh, it's, you know, I talked last week what the scenario of the show is, how they jump around through three, di- well, four different time frames. They The current day takes place, I believe it's 2032, to where he is running for president. Because the basic deal was, it was pitched to him, that you know fans are going to want to see you in this show too so how do we get you in this show and they came up with they came up with the idea of well let's have him run for president and the you know the way that it was set up on the premiere is that he's sitting he's sitting in a chair being interviewed uh doing a sit down interview as he's running for president and everything and he's going back and he's telling stories to the interviewer about, uh, it's like, oh, I've got some crazy stories, you know, of myself growing up. And then it takes place in three different time frames as far as the flashbacks. One to when he was a kid, when his dad, Rocky Johnson, was still wrestling in the ring and he was a superstar. And then it jumps to when he was a teenager. And then it jumps to, you know, his Miami Hurricane days. And I'm, I'm curious to see if this is the way it goes every week to where it's like the episodes are split into three parts where now the premiere was this way where it started off, you know, of course in present day with rock telling the story, you know, being interviewed and everything. But then the beginning of the episode jumps to when he was a kid, the middle part was the teenage. And then later on it jumped to, you know, his college football years and set that up. So I'm curious to see if that's the way it's going to be every week, if that's kind of what they're going to go with. And I talked about how they've got a different actor playing the rock in every every time frame, which is cool. I really like that. That was pretty fun how they did that. Um, really great casting on this show. Uh, being a wrestling fan growing up, I'm just super impressed with these actors that they've gotten to play these 80s wrestlers and they really look like them and favor them. It's very impressive, just the casting job. I really was excited to see because it's something that seems like like projects that The Rock is involved with, it just seems like the casting is always so really good. So I wanted to see what this was like. And the guy that's playing Andre the Giant really looks like Andre. The guy that's playing Junkyard Dog looks like Junkyard Dog. It's it's pretty amazing. I've already seen the, the picture of the guy that's going to be playing uh, Macho Man Randy Savage later down the line. I don't know if it's going to be episode two or where it is, but... Uh, he wasn't in the first episode, but I've seen that. I thought, oh man, that really does look like Randy Savage. It's pretty amazing. The casting is really awesome in this show. So yeah, check it out. I would recommend definitely give it a give it a look and see what you think of it for yourself. And I'm looking forward to seeing episode two and see what that's like. 
The CBS show Mom is has announced that they are going to be ending after season eight, which is this current season. This was an interesting story to follow. Of course, Anna Ferris left the show uh, after this last season, and then they decided how they they were going to keep the show going, and then focus and try to spin the story a different way and away from her character. You know, I watch Friends a lot of times, reruns on on Nick, and right after that, Mom comes on. A lot of times I'll leave it on and I kind of watch it. I'm just kind of like a casual viewer. I haven't watched it from the beginning or anything. If it's on, I just kind of watch it. And, of course, you know, the episodes are all over the place whenever I just happen to jump in. You know, I'm not watching them in any kind of order. But I enjoy the show when I do watch it. It's a fun watch. And so the series finale is going to be on Thursday, May the 6th at 8 p.m. Central Time on CBS. So that will be the end of the series Mom. The Dating Game, if you remember this show that originally aired from 1965 to 1973, it is returning to ABC. It is going to be hosted by Zoe Deschanel and Michael Bolton. And, of course, the dating game, of course, I told when it originally aired, but, of course, it has been back several times in syndication over the last several decades. This is going to be the celebrity dating game here. It's going to be, I guess, get a date with a celeb, you know. We're going to have uh, celebrities behind the wall, you know, to where you answer questions and try to get a date with a celeb. So that could be a fun series to check out. Uh, I don't know. I haven't heard any word on when it's going to air. Again, it's going to be eight episodes on ABC. So very cool there. It'll be kind of a fun game show watch you know there's a lot of game shows that are landing in uh, prime time here lately this was a big shocker for me in every great way possible if you grew up in that era of mtv like i did in the 90s you're very aware of the real world and i'm talking about the real world when it was good <laughs> I'm, t- I'm not talking about later down the line when it just when the show just became who can you hook up with in the house when it just completely went to bleh, you know and I it, I quit watching it after after a while I just couldn't take it anymore but I watched I don't know how far how many seasons did I watch before I know I bailed after Las Vegas the Vegas season I that was when that was my ending point of the real world although I did I think Chicago it was either Chicago or Paris I don't remember which one aired right after that one and I did like whichever one that was and then I bailed after that but Vegas the Vegas season finished me that's where I just I couldn't watch the show anymore after where it just became like hookup central and I just I don't know I missed what the show originally was for me the original peak seasons of the real world was New York, Los Angeles, and San Francisco, which is one, two, and three. That is always what peak real world has been for me back when it was a social experiment. Of course, I'm not saying that later down the line it wasn't still a social experiment because there were some still great seasons after those uh, original seasons. But to me, this was peak real world. One, two, and three. Those seasons were, that was the peak. Back when you just, you put a cast in the house, seven strangers, you recorded them. There was no overproducing on like uh, interviews and stuff like you see now on reality shows. You put seven strangers in a house, record them, and you know it's all all diversity you know to where they all come from all different walks of life and they all come together and they talk and get to know each other learn about one another and learn their strengths and their weaknesses you know and what's really awesome is this surprise here is that of course Paramount Plus is getting ready to launch that's going to be the revamped CBS All Access to where it's now going to be Paramount Plus. It's going to include more stuff. Paramount Plus is going to be hosting a series called The Real World Homecoming New York. 
it is going to reunite the first season real world cast. They are going to be living in the same New York City loft that they shared in 1992. It's going to air on March 4th, so we're going to have Becky, Andre, Kevin, Heather B., Julie, Eric, and Norman all back on our TVs, and I am so pumped for this. I am so pumped for this. Uh... From what I understand, I think it's a seven-episode series. Yes, it is seven episodes. I'm looking at my notes here. Yep, seven episodes. And that's going to be so exciting. I've actually watched, um, when I was flipping around on CBS All Access, well, not even just that, it's on Pluto as well. Um, CBS All Access, I assume it's still there, had the first few seasons of The Real World up there where you could watch. Pluto was also, they occasionally run real-world reruns on Pluto. They've got an MTV channel on there. And here in the last year, I've watched several episodes of the first season and just loved it. And occasionally, I will land on, whenever I see real-world episodes on, like especially the first three seasons, I will sit and watch them. And there's so many times where I think about that first season, I think, where are they today? You know, because... For like the MTV generation of mine that grew up in that era, that cast meant a lot to us. You know, this that cast of the first season of The Real World, they were a big time launch of reality TV. I mean, they were really the ones that knocked the door open. I mean, I'm sure there's other reality stuff before them and whatnot. But the real world was really the show that just blew the doors open on reality TV. And I've always felt like this cast is what we what we see as like the pioneers, you know, of what reality TV started as. And of course, it's evolved just all different ways now with all kinds of different shows and beyond that. But I always look at this group as, you know, when they first come in there, they all have said, you know, why did you do this? And they're all, they all had the same thing. You know, they're all young and they were like, we got told we could live somewhere in New York City rent free for three months or whatever it was, however long they were there. And they were like, that's the whole reason we did it, <laughs> you know, and uh Basically, I mean, that was that's one big reason that they give, you know, and they were just like, yeah, sure, why not? Let's try this. And we have somewhere we can live rent free for a little while. I remember the first time I watched The Real World, um, it'd been airing a little bit on MTV. I was sitting around with my friends. We were all packed in my room just watching TV that night and we we're flipping channels like we often would do. And we landed on MTV, and I think I think I had like one or two friends in there that said, oh, this is the real world. Have you seen this yet? And I was like, no, I haven't seen this yet. And we all sat, and we probably watched two or three episodes that night, and we were just glued. And, you know, that's uh, that was my first introduction to the real world, summer of 92, when that thing aired. And, you know, I just remember, like, this show was so good especially in those early days of just hooking you to a cast. It's like, these are regular people, you know, and you're like, Oh, you can relate to them. And they bring you in so much that it feels like they're friends of yours, you know? And that's the way a lot of times reality TV can be. And I just remember when that show ended, you know, it was just like you were saying farewell to friends, you know, where like, Oh no, you don't get to hang out with them anymore on the show. And then when they launched season two of Los Angeles, what they did before that, they did a New York reunion episode where I think it was like a year later, or I don't know how many, maybe a few months later or a year later, they brought them all back together in that loft and then did a reunion where they all gathered and talked about you know, how the show had done, how life is for them after you know becoming becoming famous you know they became famous off that show and I just remember how excited I was to see them all back together so 
Yeah, this is going to be something I'm just super pumped to check out and see what this is like. Because there's so many times I think about this cast and wonder how they're doing and what they're up to nowadays. And like I said, it would it's going to be an interesting thing because to get their perspective now, looking back to what reality TV is now, and have them look back on that time... Because there were so many epic moments in that first season where you just saw just their different personalities and their struggles and their strengths and what they clashed on. And just, you know, just it was just such a diverse group. And I don't know, it was just such it was just such a like a time for MTV to where it was they were putting that kind of stuff on TV, just different cultures and just the way people communicated with one another and everything so yeah this is going to be awesome i'm really pumped for this so march the 4th on paramount plus is when this is going to launch i don't know if they're putting all the episodes up there at once or if it's going to be one by one but i will definitely be checking this out and i will be talking about these things on a later podcast I said last week that it looked like Big Brother Canada 9 was getting very close to announcing a premiere date. They were definitely starting to tease. We do have a premiere date. It is March the 3rd. That is when Big Brother Canada 9 is going to launch. And again, if you remember last year, the season was shortened because of the pandemic as it uh, got rolling. So it knocked the season out. According to Hamster Watch, the shows are going to air on Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday, which Thursday will be eviction episodes, I'm assuming. It's what it always, what it always has been, so I'm assuming that's sticking. The feeds are once again free. If you're not familiar with that up in Canada, with Big Brother Canada feeds, those are free up there. We pay for them here in the States for Big Brother US. Up in Canada, feeds are free. Feeds are also kind of a mess up in Canada. There's a lot of times where the feeds will just be down for no reason at all up there in Canada. And it infuriates a lot of Big Brother fans when the feeds just go down for no reason at all. So you'll just get those random outages with Big Brother Canada feeds. So yeah, Big Brother Canada 9 premiering March 3rd. So we are very close. And they are teasing a champion's a champions battle. I don't know if that is a tease of that this is going to be an all return, like return player season. I don't know. It's going to be something to check out or if the champion is a description of something else. So with so many of my reality shows down because of the pandemic where like Survivor can't do anything although now there are reports that survivor is getting ready to start shooting seasons again so i kind of feel like if they're getting ready to go maybe we'll have a survivor season in the fall is kind of what my gut feels like um but yeah with so many of my reality shows down uh, i saw a recommendation on twitter about amazing race australia which is the australian version of the amazing race obviously and I thought, yeah, sure, I'm going to check this out. I have watched two episodes of this, and it is way better than the season of 2020 of the Big, Bro- Big Brother, of the Amazing Race US season that we got of 2020. Yeah, you know, I spoke my struggles on that season where it was just, you know, the big group just picking teams off left and right and how just not fun it was. I, I tell you what, I'm two episodes into The Amazing Race Australia, and it's way better than the whole season of the last Amazing Race US. It's really awesome. It's fun to watch how they do it compared to the US version. Um, so one thing, well, one thing that they did, this is recently shot. They shot this around the pandemic. They figured out a way to how they could do the show around COVID. So you hear COVID mentioned a few times, you know, during the first episode or two. So one thing, well, one thing too, the episodes 
are there's no set time for what I've seen so far. The first two episodes I've watched have run an hour and nine minutes apiece, which means, you know, with commercials, this was probably an hour and a half block that was set for the show. But I'm seeing some future episodes that are clearly in a one hour block. So that's kind of interesting. And I'm wondering if this is something that kind of Australia does. I'm, I don't know what they do with uh, Australian Survivor that they have. I need to check that out, too, because I hear that's really good, too. Um, back when I watched Big Brother Australia a few years ago, their their time frame on episodes was all over the place. You'd have two-hour episodes and an hour-and-a-half episode or an hour episode. A lot of task in the first couple episodes. There's a lot of task in these legs of the race. Um, of course, there's a different host. I've enjoyed the host. He's fun. And one thing that... One thing that's come up in the first, what was the second episode, is some twist in the game compared to what we have here in the U.S. One, the first team to win the leg of the race, the second leg of the race, was rewarded with a fast pass, which meant that they get to skip the next leg completely and take the leg off, and... They, they have no chance of being eliminated, which I thought was fascinating because that's never been done in the U.S. version of The Amazing Race that I've seen. Unless it was in one of those random seasons that I missed and kind of in the middle. Uh, I've never seen that done. Another thing that they were given the first place team was they were given a sabotage and a salvage uh, task that they had to do to where... They're waiting for the final two teams to get there. And what they end up doing is they have to pick between the two teams on to give... Well, I should also point out this was a non-elimination leg. So both of the bottom two teams stayed in. They had to give a sabotage thing to one and a salvage to the other one. So the salvage was something good, sabotage was something bad. They don't know what it involves. They just know one's good, one's bad, and they have to decide who they're going to give it to. So what we've what I've seen in the previews, I haven't watched the third episode yet, but the third episode, the sabotage is that one of the team members can't communicate to the other one either through that task or through that whole leg of the race. I'm not sure which it was. I heard it at the time, but my brain checked out. I don't remember which it was, but that is an incredible disadvantage for teams on The Amazing Race if you can't communicate with one another. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of fun teams on here. We've already had a rivalry that's been going on between the mums and the power couple. And, you know, I'm curious to see, like, their dynamic of that power couple with how they uh, how they work together and everything. I want to see how that plays out for a while and see how, they, uh, see how they work together. But there's so many likable teams on, uh, on this season of Amazing Race Australia that I've just really liked and gotten behind. So, yeah, I'm really pumped to watch this. I think the first... Maybe seven or nine episodes are up. I found this online. So I'm I'm definitely going to be binge-watching over this week. So yeah, though, it's... Um, this two episodes has blown away this last U.S. season of The Amazing Race for me. This is a lot of fun. I really am enjoying Amazing Race Australia, and I'm pumped to check out more of it. Some video game talk this week. Nintendo yesterday had their big unveiling of a lot of their new games that will be coming out later this year. They had a 50-minute presentation that was just straight-up trailers and introductions and some news going on with some of the game creators and everything. It was a lot of fun to watch and just check out see what all's coming out. A lot of the games I wasn't really familiar with. Uh, Mario Golf, they did announce it's going to be returning to home consoles for the first time since 2003. So that was something that had a lot of people's attention. June 25th is when that is going to launch on the Switch. Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword HD, this is going to be a re-release of the 2011 Wii exclusive. 
that is going to be launching with a pair of Zelda-themed Joy-Cons. So that is going to be something to look forward to later this year. They also said, of course, there's one thing I know I've seen a lot of people that were hoping for news on, and that was the Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild game. People were really hoping there was going to be news on that. And you could tell they were anticipating it because they didn't announce anything, but they did land something in the presentation where they said, hey, we're working on this just to let you know we're going to have news on it later in the year. So you could tell there was a lot of uh, discussion on that and they were aware of it. So they wanted to get that in there and let them know, let people know, you know, hey, there is some news that's going to be coming out. Ninja Gaiden Master Collection coming on June the 10th. That is going to be including Ninja Gaiden Sigma, Sigma 2, and Ninja Gaiden 3 Razor's Edge. That is going to be coming on June the 10th later on. And then also something that goes along with Nintendo. You know, I talked about the Console Wars uh, documentary that was that's uh, on CBS All Access. Um, there's going to be a new Nintendo documentary that's going to be showing up on Crackle. It is going to be, that's another streaming service, in case you're not familiar with Crackle. It's free as well. You can check this out for free. It is going to be five episodes. And it's going to be able available to stream for free on March the 1st. And the trailer has been released. If you want to check that out, look up the title of the docuseries, which is called Playing With Power the Nintendo story. It's going to cover a lot of what was in the console wars, but just more of a focus, obviously, on Nintendo, since it's a Nintendo docuseries. But there's, I can already tell there's going to be some stories that were revisited from console wars, where they're also, it seems like they're going to kind of tell the positives and negatives of Nintendo, to where it's like, yeah, they were a great thing, but they also had a monopoly and they controlled the market and they tried to they tried everything they could to keep everybody out of the market and you know the the things that Nintendo got into to where they went down on down slump you know when PlayStation arrived and of course they were battling Sega so this is going to be a five episode docu series on Crackle starting on March 1st this is something I'm definitely going to check out. It looks like fun. The trailer looks very interesting. And, you know, and I enjoy the Console Wars documentary a lot. So this is kind of like another companion to that. And look forward to learning some more things about Nintendo that maybe I did not know. Let's move into some music topics this week. The ACM Awards announced that they basically have the same plan as they did in 2020 with everything going on with the pandemic. They are going to basically do the same deal that they did last year. The ACM Awards are going to be taking place at the Opry, the Grand Ole Opry House, the Ryman Auditorium, and the Bluebird Cafe. This is going to take place on April the 18th on CBS at 7 p.m. Central Time. Uh, I believe it was the first podcast episode that I did where I talked about last year's ACM Awards. I really enjoyed last year's show. I thought I thought it looked good, especially, you know, we were so early on into the pandemic at that point to where, you know, they were trying to figure out how to even do an award show. And I just thought the different locations really helped and they they were really smooth with their transitions of how they went from one location to the other and I just thought they really production wise made these venues look so awesome on TV which of course are awesome anyway but just the the way they just popped them you know they just popped so big on TV with the lighting and everything to where they just made them look so good so the ACM Awards is going to give that another try, and they're going to go for it once again. So two topics here that are basically just a repeat of last week almost. Uh, I'm going to talk about Taylor Swift and Carrie Underwood here. Right after last week's podcast, they both released things from their upcoming albums, released some songs here. We have been waiting for... We'd gotten the tease on that Match.com commercial 
of what Taylor Swift's uh, redo of Love Story was going to sound like. Well, now she has released the whole song. The song is out there, and also a lyric video is out there as well. I'd recommend checking out the lyric video. Don't just listen to the song, you know, whatever your streaming music devices, you know, whichever one you use. Look up the video, because they've set the video to a lot of the images and video, pictures, meet and greets, and they've set it all to images from the Fearless era. And it looks really cool, and it really pops that that song, you know, to where it really takes you back and puts you like in a puts you in like a time capsule back to that era. And th- what was interesting to check out from Love Story is that there were parts of it that sounded exactly the same. Like if you had just pulled out the original album and you listened to it, it just sounded exactly the same. Like she nailed it perfect. And then there's parts of the song to where you can hear her with her voice or whatever. She can she kind of evolves a little bit from the original. And I liked I liked that. I liked that it was both, you know, to where there's parts of it that sounded exactly the same, and then there were parts that kind of moved away and kind of had a different feel. And it kind of made the song sound fresh. I really like what I hear out of what this new album is going to be. You know, this remake of Fearless. This is going to be very cool to keep up with this as she continues to do this with her old albums to where she has her own masters, you know, that she's got for her own as opposed to, uh, you know, the other masters with the album that's locked in with the other recording company, you know, which has been just a ton of drama. So, yeah, this is very cool. I'm looking forward to hearing more of this and seeing what she does with the rest of this. Carrie Underwood released the first single off of her My Savior album, which is Softly and Tenderly. Sounds awesome. Again, there's a lyric video for that if you want to check that out. Major flashback to the CMA Awards a few years ago when she sang that live, which was an incredible in-person performance there at the CMAs. Very, very cool. So awesome that that ended up being the lead single off of My Savior. I was watching live with Kelly and Ryan this week, and they were talking about an article in the New York Post that was uh, discussing a study that had been done about music being a calming for people, especially in stress times, especially in the last year, like what people are doing to bring their stress down. And they talked about music being such a big part of that. And the study had been done on what kind of music was the top on what was bringing calm to people. And it was 80s music. That was what was ranked as number one that it was 80s music that was bringing calm to people. I'm going to read this out of the article. The survey asked 1,540 adults ages 18 through 65 to undergo a series of mental stress tests during which they listened to various Spotify playlists composed of several popular genres of music, including the 60s golden oldies, 70s rock anthems, 90s R&B, and then, of course, 80s music in the mix of that, too. The pop culture experiment also included less mainstream styles such as dubstep, jazz, and modern classical. However, the resulting research found that playlists which included beloved cheesy hits from the 80s had the most pacifying effect on participants, with 96% of the group reporting a decrease in blood pressure while listening to the tunes. 36% also felt their heart rate drop. So the results that were released of the survey show that the first decade of the 2000s also produced decreases in blood pressure and heart rate, followed by classical, and 90s R&B was also listed in this to complete the top five. The doctor said that the result of this could, the reasoning being that it could have positive nostalgia attached to them for many people, and their upbeat party-like sounds can induce the release of endorphins and serotonin in the brain, both increasing feelings of happiness and calm. I think he was mostly talking about that with the 80s music, but I think he was talking about that with really anything. 
So basically what I understood out of this article was it's, you know, it was 80s music and everything, but it was basically like whatever you grew up with. That's kind of what a lot of the discussion was on Live with Kelly and Ryan. They were really talking about that. But I think this mostly pushes toward like what you grew up with. What what music was yours, you know, as you were growing up and you know, I think there's a lot of truth to that. I know for me, like when, especially in the last year, you know, when I'll get out and just, you know, do some walking or stuff to try to get exercise, sometimes I'll turn on some streaming music. And my go-to is 90s and early 2000s. That is my go-to. And going with what this article talks about, for me, there are so many times to where I will start listening to music and I get more of a pep in me with my walking. And a lot of times I will walk longer than I planned because I'm enjoying the music so much. And I find a lot of myself in the last year that a lot of my, because of course we're just in tough times right now, just with everything going on in the world, that it seems like the past is like the nostalgia. That's the word I'm looking for is like, is the fuel like nostalgia is fueling so much now. And a lot of people to where that's where I get a lot of my boost, you know, whether it's TV shows or like watching old movies or listening to music, I'm seeing a lot of that going on right now. Of course, nostalgia is big in anything just on a normal day. You know, I mean, we've seen that for years. How many things have been relaunched, <laughs> you know, and things like that. But I I will speak this study that I know when there's a lot of times where I turn on that 90s radio. I listen to uh, iHeartRadio a lot. And I listen to their 90s channel and I listen to their 2000s channel. And for me, that peak period for that music pretty much goes from like for calming or whatever, you know, goes from like the 90s to about 2007-ish, kind of in there, 2006-7-ish, kind of around in there is kind of my peak era to where I can turn those on and just hear songs that just give me energy, you know. But yeah, there are so many times I'll be out walking, and if I put on one of those stations and they're just playing like the perfect wave of songs that I just love that I will walk for a lot longer and I will enjoy my exercising a lot more. So I found that interesting the other day when they were talking about that on Live with Kelly and Ryan. And that's something I've been saying for a while because I'll be out walking. I'm just like, man, I'm really enjoying this music and I really don't want to quit walking. So yeah, there's definitely something to that. But it was interesting that 80s music was listed as the tops, you know? So I don't know if that's like, is it ballads? Or are we talking Blondie? Or are we talking like uh, Air Supply? <laughs> it's like, what are we talking about here? Are we talking ballads or or uh, Take On Me? Or I don't know. But yeah, I have a feeling probably any of you listening, probably anything that was just meant a lot to you growing up that's that's probably your thing that's your music you know that just uh just hits you hits you where it feels good you know with the nostalgia and everything so interesting study i thought A lot of news on NBA All-Star weekend that was released today of course i've been covering all-star voting in the last few weeks. And I talked about last week how it looked very close that we were going to like officially have a date for all-star weekend. And that Woj, you know, Adrian Wojciechowski was talking about that there was reports out there that they were looking to bring all-star Saturday events into this thing too. So here is what we have. The NBA announced that on Sunday, March the 7th, is going to be the NBA All-Star Weekend. It's going to all be in one day. This is their plan on how they're going to do it. The coverage is going to start at 4 p.m. Central Time on TNT. 
at 5.30 Central Time. The Skills Challenge and the Three-Point Contest are going to take place. The All-Star Game is going to start at 7 p.m. Central Time. The Slam Dunk Contest is going to take place during halftime of the All-Star Game. So that is going to be a wild time watching all that completed in one evening and night. So here is the here's the NBA statement that they put out announcing the All-Star Game. The NBA announced today that NBA All-Star 2021 will be held on Sunday, March 7th at State Farm Arena in Atlanta. The game will follow the same format as last year with the teams competing to win each quarter and playing to a final target score during the untimed fourth quarter. As part of this year's events, the NBA and NP- NBPA will commit more than $2.5 million in funds and resources toward historically black colleges and universities and provide additional support and awareness around equity and access to COVID-19 care relief and vaccines. So they are also going to bring back the format of last year's All-Star Game, which really worked. It really, really worked on the intensity level of the game last year because there's been a lot of criticism on the All-Star Game here in recent years that players just aren't into it. They're just kind of out there. You know, it's just lob city where people aren't playing defense. They're just throwing lobs left and right. And, you know, it just it just got to where the All-Star Game hasn't been very fun in recent years. And I've been somebody, too, that's just been a critic. And this has come from somebody that loves All-Star Weekend going back to you know, the early 90s. So something needed to be fixed. And they tried that format last year and it was just kind of like, okay, well, this is really a lot to keep up with. It was a lot of format. You know, there was a lot to see what was going on. But it worked. It really, really worked. And when they got to that fourth quarter and they had to get to that certain point total No matter how long it took them to get there, there was that point total where once a team gets to this point, it's over. And the defense stepped up. I don't know how long they played. Maybe that fourth quarter maybe went for at least 20 minutes, maybe 30. I don't know. But both teams were playing really hard, and it was a lot of fun to watch. And by the time that game was over, I said, okay, that that worked. That was fun. You know, that... That experiment definitely checked out and worked out. So, yeah, very, very cool. I was very excited about that. So, with that, we also have our NBA All-Star Game starters. So, I'm going to go over these. They announced these tonight on TNT. Of course, I've been keeping up with the... uh, the early vote totals, you know, as we've went along through this. And I want to explain this to you again on how the vote worked to determine the starters for the All-Star Game. The fan vote counts for 50% of the total vote. Now, the other 50% is the players get a vote and the media get a vote. They split the other 50%, so that means the current players get 25% of the vote and the media members that are allowed to vote, which I think was somebody, I think they said on TNT tonight, it was like 120-something people, I think, of the media that got to vote. They get 25% of this as well. And that did come into play, as we did have a tie on some uh, some of the voting here, and it went back to the fans got to break the tie on it. So... So let's go right now. Here are your starters for the Eastern Conference. Eastern Conference front court. Kevin Durant, Giannis, Joel Embiid is your top three. Those are your starters for the front court in the East. The guards for the East. Bradley Beal, Kyrie Irving. So what about the rest of the voting? How did it all play out? What were the top ten for the rest of the votes? So, fourth place, we're going to go with the East in the front court. Fourth place was Jason Tatum, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Julius Randle. You got Sabonis, Jeremy Grant, Gordon Hayward. Those were your top ten for the front court. 
For the guards in the East, it was Bradley Beal, Kyrie, as I said, then to James Harden, Zach Levine, Jalen Brown, Trey Young, Westbrook is in there, Ben Simmons, Van Fleet, Colin Sexton. That was how it all worked out in the East. That was the total votes. So how did the players and the media vote on those numbers? So with the players, of course, the players are able to vote for their own. The players voted Duran is one, Giannis is two, Embiid is three, Tatum is fifth, Butler is sixth, Adebayo is fourth, Randall is eighth, Sabonis ninth, Grant seventh, and Hayward down in 15th. The media rank on these players, they had Duran at three, Giannis at one, Embiid at two, Tatum at 5, Butler at 7, Adebayo at 7, Randall at 5, Sabonis at 4, Grant at 7, and Hayward at 7. So we jump down here to the guards. The players' rank on the votes for the guards was they had Beal at 1, Kyrie at 2, Harden at 3, Levine at 3, Brown at 5, Trey Young at 11, Westbrook all the way down at 12th, Simmons at 6, Van Fleet at 7, Sexton at 13. The media rank on these players, they had the media had Beal at 1, Kyrie at 4, Harden at 3, Levine at 5, Jalen Brown up at number 2. So quite a rise there from the media putting Jalen Brown at number 2. Trey Young at 6, Westbrook at 7, Simmons at 7, Van Fleet at 9, and Colin Sexton at 9. So let's jump over here to the Western Conference. The rest of the top 10 for the Western Conference for the front court, of course we had LeBron and Jokic, and then we got Kawhi Leonard. From there it was Anthony Davis at 4, Paul George at 5, Zion at 6, Brandon Ingram at 7, Christian Wood at 8, Rudy Gobert at 9, Carmelo Anthony at 10. How did the players vote on this list? They had LeBron at 1, Jokic at 2, Leonard at 4, Anthony Davis at 3, Paul George at 5, Zion at 8, Brandon Ingram at 6, Christian Wood at 10, Gobert at 7, Carmelo Anthony at 9. The media vote on the players, they had their rankings of LeBron at 1, Jokic at 2, Leonard at 3, Davis at 5, Paul George at 5, Zion at 8, Ingram at 8, Wood at 7, Gobert at 4, Carmelo at 8. Jump down here to the guards. These were the rest of your top 10 votes with how they played out. Of course, you had Steph Curry and Luka as the top two. Then Damian Lillard, Donovan Mitchell, Devin Booker, Ja Moran at 6, Chris Paul at 7, Alexander at 8, McCollum at 9, DeMar DeRozan at 10. So that was how the votes played out there for the full vote. As far as how the players ranked those West guards, they put Curry at 1, Luka at 3, Lillard at 2. Mitchell at 5, Booker at 4, Ja Moran at 9, Chris Paul at 7, Alexander at 7, McCollum at 14, and DeRozan at 10. The media rank was pretty interesting because they had a lot of ties in this mix here. Steph Curry at 1, Luka at 3, Lillard at 2, Donovan Mitchell at 4, Booker at 5, Moran at 5, Chris Paul at 5, Alexander at 5, McCollum at 5, and DeRozan at, you guessed it, 5. So that is how all the results played out, and then also how the players ranked them, and also how the media ranked them. Uh, the TNT crew tonight talked to NBA Commissioner Adam Silver on tip-off show after they announced all the starters. And Kenny Smith asked the question on why Atlanta? Why was you know why did you decide on Atlanta over every other city? And Adam Silver just basically said because it's the home of Turner. You know it's the home of Turner Sports where we've got our deal for All Star Weekend. So. 
we can just go there and you know the whole Turner team doesn't have to travel all the equipment and everything there is there the people are there you know because they're planning on making this a bubble scenario here to where with pandemic restrictions and everything they want to try to make it like a mini bubble is what the commissioner called it earlier tonight and that way they can keep Turner people from having to travel and everything too to where everything's just set up their home base there in Atlanta. So that's the reason that they picked Atlanta for the NBA All-Star Weekend. And as far as discussion, there's been a lot of discussion about, I think the biggest controversy coming out of the starters so far has been Luka and Lillard. That's been where the divide has been. Of course, Luca, you know, loved among the fans. Lillard just playing crazy basketball here in the last while. And I mean, it shows too with how the voting went. I mean, you look here to where the media and the players both had Lillard at two and Luca at three, whereas the fans, but the fans have the bigger percentage and they had, well, they have the, the tie vote. They have the vote, the tiebreaker. So that gets Luca, you know, the spot. Luca's very popular among the fans. You know, people love Luca. He is very popular uh, worldwide. So it's going to be tough to beat him in a fan vote. So you just kind of have that divide there. And I'm sure that's probably, I could see Lillard really having a chip on his shoulder here and just making him, making him want to play even harder. So that's kind of really been the biggest controversy. I wouldn't even really, I wouldn't even call it a controversy. It's just, a, it's a discussion is all that people are having on whether, uh, who should be starting either Luca or Lillard. But I like both, you know, I obviously like both. So that's, uh, I'm sure all over the sports shows, probably tomorrow, that's going to be one of the topics on all the, all the sports discussion shows, something that they can talk and debate, and I'm sure that's something they'll talk about it, but that is your NBA All-Star Weekend News, March 7th. It's all happening in several hours. All-Star Weekend packed into like six hours or whatever it is. It'll be fun to watch. It'll be a lot of fun to watch. That is it for this week's episode of the podcast. I hope all of you are staying safe, hopefully warm. I know it's been a tough week for so many in this country. The winter storm warnings across the country have just been insane to keep up with. It's just been a brutal stretch. Texas, my prayers are with all of you down there. I know it's just been a brutal week, and I'm so sorry for everything that y'all are having to deal with. Just hope the end of this is coming up very soon to where all of you are back up on your feet down there in Texas and all around the country with anybody that's been dealing with just this brutal winter storm stretch that we've been having. So take care, God bless, and thank you so much as always for listening to this episode of the podcast. And I just hope you have a great week ahead.